FM Breakfast Show with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. You're listening here on 87.6, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. And this morning, we are going to give a, a special shout-out to those listening in Goolwa, South Australia on 88, in Grafton, New South Wales on 87.6, and in Mansfield, Victoria, also on 87.6. Did you say Goolwa? I said Goolwa. Goolwa is a place. That if is- you are from Goolwa, South Australia, give us a call and tell me whether I mispronounced that, but I'm saying that Goolwa is a place. Amazing. Oh, it's Goolwa. literally spelt Goolwa. G-O-O-L-W-A. Yeah, Goolwa. Goolwa. That's wow. It's an epic name. Impressive. Uh-huh. Please contact us. 0491-064-669. Let us know. What is- might, it might be an indigenous name. What is the Goolwa life like living in a town with such an odd name? It's kind of like Deception Bay people. You know, it's just interesting times, interesting names. At least Deception Bay, we understand what the word means. But let's, uh, tell us what Gulwa means. Gulwa? Because Gulwa, Gulwa obviously has a... Some kind of foreign yeah. background that we don't understand. And by foreign, we mean local. That we don't I'm understand. thinking it's indigenous. That's right. Yeah, so it's foreign to yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. To, to your background, that, but it, not to yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to our background. <laughs> you can't get more. You can't get I'm more foreign. I am the Australia. foreigner in this particular scenario. Okay, all right. La, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful that my wife is coming back from Queensland. She's been up there with the new grandbaby uh-huh. for a week. Uh-huh. I've been lonely and oh. sad. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So coming up in today's news, we are going to talk about Gog and Magog again. Oh. Is 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 back in the news. Mm-hmm. Big time. I was talking about those guys yesterday. Yes. Big times. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, Putin and his mates. Uh-huh. Of course, they're stirring up all of the Gog and Magog people. Uh-huh. And we're also going to talk about archaeology. It's the breakfast show, which means that we are going to have questions for our quiz. And you can get your name in the draw for the quiz. It's your last day to get your name in the draw. So get those names in there. Mm-hmm. Get those answers in there. Uh-huh. All right. Let's have our, f- like, well, not our final question for the quiz, but amongst the final questions here. Yes, countdown, last five questions. These are the last five chances. So start sending those messages through or giving us a call. King Nebuchadnezzar had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast into what? The answer is not a shape or a car part. They weren't, they weren't cast into a set of brake pads. No, they were, they were cast into something. Zero four nine one zero six four six. I thought that was a funny joke, Lyle. I thought you would laugh because it's like the cast, you know. Anyways, zero four nine one zero six. He's still not laughing. That's tough. That he's just sitting in the studio smiling at me. Just yeah. <laughs> it was just Lawson being funny. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, you can do you go. Let us know whether you think Lawson's funny. Or oh, not? that's just please, <laughs> please don't. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. You can go into the draw to win uh, Christ and Child of Jigsaw Puzzle. No, not only Christ and Child, we have this whole host of Jigsaw Puzzles here: The Good Shepherd, The Three Angels, The Garden of Eden, Daniel and Lion's Den, Two by Two, The First Rainbow, or The New Jerusalem. These are 
want Daniel in the lines then. Okay. Well, you can, you can. I was speaking on the subject of Daniel. Uh huh. This Saturday. Uh huh. At your church. Yeah, that's right. Tomorrow, Newcastle that's right. Uni. Yes. So be there. Be there. That's right. If you're anywhere in the Newcastle region, come to Newcastle Uni, and walk around Newcastle Uni until you find us. Yeah, that's right. Or give us. Well, we're in the ES building. We're in okay. Engineering Sciences. I have no idea. Or where you can I'm give going. us calls. <laughs> I'm freaking out because I'm like, where am I? How am I going to even find this church? It's tomorrow? kind of complicated, but we will help you. That's okay. that's the deal. Right. And also, you can so you can win one of those puzzles, and you can win a CD as well. And we have a selection of CDs from Melita Fong to Anna Beaton to Carly Fletcher. All amazing prizes, which you have the opportunity to win. All you need to do is answer the question correctly. 0491-064-669. King Nebuchadnezzar had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast into what? Okay, so we've got an epic text message coming here. Uh-huh. It says, I live in Victor Harbour, which is 20 minutes from Gulwa. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You pronounced the name correctly. Uh-huh. It means elbow in the local Aboriginal language. Uh-huh. To make matters more confusing, there is also Gawla in South Australia. I bought a car from Gawla once. Uh-huh. Uh, pronunciation is key with these two places. So you've got Gulwa and Gawla. So, okay, so here's what I want to know now. So it means elbow. Uh-huh. Is there like... Is there a river there with a like a like a, a big bend in the river, like an yeah. elbow, or is there a is there a hill or a mountain that is like yeah. an elbow, Clearful. or did somebody break their elbow there? I, I, I want to know yeah, the answer. What's, the, what's if if it's got such a straight up meaning? It, it's got to be there for something. That's 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 absolutely epic. So now we know what it is. Uh huh. Uh huh. Thank you. Well, let's have a look at some positively different news this morning. And Lyle, all I can say is we are living. Yes. In the future. Oh. The future. I was going to say, you were, I thought you were saying we were we are living. Well, well we're living. It's that's the, good. That's true. But we are living in the future. The future is now. Okay. A group of scientists and researchers from the University of Pennsylvania have basically made, we, we talked about micro kind of robots yesterday, have made a group, like a, a, a type of micro robot that has the ability to brush your teeth hands free. So right. basically, some robot's going to come up to me, rip my mouth open, and start shoving a toothbrush in my mouth. And no, no, my no, 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 no. These are these are like so. Basically, what it is, uh, the building blocks of these 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 robots, they're these micro robots, are iron oxide nanoparticles. So this is na- so 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 you actually have a toothpaste tube full of nano robots. Yeah, that's right. And rather than scrubbing your teeth with toothpaste, you scrub your teeth with nanobots. Yeah, they jump in your mouth and mm. they get led around by, you know, a magnetic field. Mm. And they jump into your teeth and go and clean it all up and brush the plaque off and get around and form like a bit of a bit of a bristle and get get your mouth all clean and then leave. Wow. So that's That's... That's Where do they leave to? Do you like swallow them? What happens if you swallow them? Uh, you probably don't want to do that. Like, but you can't not swallow some of them if they're in your mouth. No, that's where that's where they, you know, you, well, they're not being like controlled so can, by your mouth, can... right? Like they're being controlled by an external source, so they just get pulled out. But they won't. You won't oh. swallow them. Also, because it's not toothpaste. So if I do swallow them, can I put a? Magnet on my stomach and just move it up my throat until they all come yeah. out of my mouth again. Well, that's kind of like what a lot of tradies do, right? Who work in metal work. Like they all end up with some kind of pieces of metal in their skin and then they can get a magnet and pull them out. 
So I guess I've never done that. You've never done that. I've never done. Okay, that. well, I've heard of many like bo- I'm sure it's done boiler makers and whatnot. You know, get, getting getting stitched up with that kind of thing. But with these, I'm gonna try that next time I get a piece of metal in my eye. Oh, you just grabbing a magnet and just see if work. That that is kind of gnarly. But yeah, I these, don't know they got a magnet strong enough. These robots, they're just like. They're just in, just getting it done. They just like, you know, uh, my thought is like, oh man, like, is that healthy for your gums? Like, like little robots, like scratching at your teeth and like getting up to your gums. But apparently, no, they've done some proof of context, uh, sorry, proof of concepts. They've been able to get a fake jaw that's dirty and get their nano robots, robots manipulated by magnets to go in and to brush these people's teeth. So I, I'm like, I am. I am definitely a proponent for this type of thing. I want this to happen. I want my teeth to be cleaned by robots. Um, the application of this is that, you know, basically toothbrushing can be hands-free and can be done by like, like, well, it can be done for, you know, those who are unable to potentially brush their teeth. Maybe the elderly, maybe quadriplegic, maybe you have some kind of problem that enables you not to be able to brush your teeth. You just get some nano robots in there. He'll get it done for you, which is amazing. Okay. I have other incredible health news. Did you know? What? Did you know that Uh there was once a time when they considered making Goolwa the capital of South Australia? Really? Yes. Really? Yes. Over Adelaide? Adelaide? Yes. Why? I don't know. This subject is just really perplexing. It's fascinating. And did you also know that it used to be called, in English, it used to be called the elbow? The elbow. And then they called it Gulwa because the Aboriginal people, that was the word. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's a much cooler name. So You have to admit, that's a way oh, cooler 100%. name than calling it the elbow. The elbow is just lame. Do you know why they called it the elbow? Ah, Suzanne has just texted through to say Gulwa is located at an elbow of the Murray River. Oh, there you go. So I was I was actually on the money. Congratulations, Lyle. Yeah. That's All awesome. Right, so we've solved some problems. Let's get back to positive okay, and different news. You know what other problem has been solved? What? In Botswana. The uh, transmission of HIV between mothers and children. Really? Between mothers and children? This, this ha- is epic. This has dropped. This is so good. This Get this, Lyle. So, well, in 1999, the HIV prevalence rate in Botswana was like 30%. Like, it was one of the countries struggling the most with HIV. Uh, you know, 30%. That's like yep. one in three people. Yes, that's right. And... 23 years ago, at the time that this, you know, was taken, uh, this um, survey was taken, um, 40% of, like, all people who had HIV, they would give birth and their kids would have HIV as well. That has now dropped to less than 1%. Wow. Less than 1%. And what does that look like? Well, this year, in Botswana, in their central health district so far, they've had four babies that have been HIV positive and in every other, the other seven health districts of Botswana, they have had no babies that have been HIV that positive. That is absolutely amazing. 23 years ago, my dad was living in uh, in Africa. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was running a workshop and they were uh-huh. building heavy machinery and stuff. And every now and then he'd have workers that just wouldn't turn up for work. Uh-huh. And everyone would just shrug their shoulders. And just, they just did. HIV. HIV. Yeah. It was, just, it was just massive, massive problem. Well, they've estimated uh, since 2010, they've averted 1.7 million new new infections in children um, as a result of this taking place, this incredible reduction. And how it has taken place is essentially they've they've just 
gone to prevention. Like they've just gone, okay, if you're HIV positive and you get pregnant, you immediately get put on certain medication that will restrict the ability for that to happen to your child. And uh, thankfully, like... The medication obviously works. They've committed to the program and now they're looking at essentially by 2030, they're thinking they they will have a HIV-free generation. Of like kids born, you know, you yeah, can, kids being born that's with right. HIV, you can contract HIV, yes, but yes. in terms of children being born with HIV, it should be HIV free by twenty thirty. Really good news. That's their perspective. So that's amazing. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Let's have another question for our quiz. The four horses in Revelation six are what four colors? Zero four nine one. Zero six four six six nine. Now, in that question, you have just a straight-up reference you can go to and look at and find the answer. We do want to encourage you, if you are a regular church attender, if you go on to church every week, really try and think about this and try and get the answer. But if you're not a regular church attender, we would encourage you, hey, you know, go and check it out. Know the answer. And again, that question was, the four horses in Revelation 6 are what four colors? Again, our prizes for this week, which we will be drawing at 8.45, are a puzzle and a CD of your choosing. We have a whole host of them. All you need to do is win. So guys, get in. 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. All right. I want to go to Goolwa. You what? Why? They have a wooden boat festival there. Who wouldn't want to go and see oh, that? How amazing. epic is that? That's cool. Would you bring a wooden boat? If I had one. Yeah. <laughs> I'd totally take a wooden boat there. Love wooden boats. I've got a wooden boat. I've always wanted to build a uh, a, a, a clinker boat. Uh-huh. Clinker clinker um, construction out mm. of Tasmanian hewn pine. Oh, that, like the single most expensive wooden boat ever made ever. Well, see, there was like thousands of boats made out of human pine back in the day. Wow. And most of them are still around because the stuff doesn't rot. It's just the bomb. It is, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about some more serious news this morning. And uh, we're going to head over to talk about, well, Russia and Iran oh, and Turkey yeah. <laughs> and Gog and Magog. So Gog and Magog was t- trending on Twitter. News really? Was so big that Gog and Magog were the two words that were like just smashing it on Twitter. And this is because Vladimir Putin has been down in Iran and oh, Turkey yes. having a chat with of these course. guys trying to build alliances because he doesn't have a lot of friends in the world right now and so he's looking for, okay, who is in the region that actually might be my friend? And he's making alliances with these guys. Mm. And, of course, a lot of people are like, oh, this is the fulfilment of Gog and Magog. No, it's not the fulfilment of Gog and Magog. You don't interpret Bible prophecy by just, well, it kind of looks like or sounds like. No, that's mm. not how Bible prophecy is interpreted. You need to apply principles of interpretation when applying Bible prophecy. And one of the primary principles of interpretation is that everything at the end of time is global. Yes. It's all global. Uh-huh. It, it ceases to be national and becomes global at the end of time. Gog and Magog, which were national back in the day, National em- enemies of God's people become the global enemies of God's people. This is God's war between. Sorry, this is this is. Well, this is the war between God and Satan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anyway, so uh, also Gog and Magog exist in a context in which there are no countries. Yes, like Revelation chapter twenty is that's like right. 
There are no countries. There are there. no countries. It's, so, it's after the thousand years. It's after the second coming. <laughs> like indeed. What indeed? Okay, so uh, Vladimir Putin has travelled to Iran to meet with the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei and the Iranian President Ibrahim uh, Raisi. Uh, the Ayatollah the, uh, released a declaration supporting the Russian invasion of Ukraine, making him a key ally. Mm. So he's got some support there. And it's interesting to see an atheist, you know, a, a devout atheistic country, mm. you know, because, well, I, you know, Putin is not an atheist, but Russia is steeped in an atheistic history. That's right. Their socialism. Who were, who were, who were enemies. Yeah. Who were former enemies. You know, back in the day you had Russia who was supporting Iraq against Iran. Yeah. Because Saddam Hussein had a secular government and Iran had a religious government. Uh huh. It's interesting to see how that all that turns around and faces the other direction. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, the Turkish president Erdogan. Mm. Uh, he's jumping in there as well. And they're all siding with Vladimir Putin. And uh, these are re- very religious governments. Uh huh. And Vladimir Putin has formed a very religious government, but they are very different religious governments. This is, this is Islam and Christianity, where Orthodox Christianity jumping in bed together. Mm. And these are strange bedfellows with strange histories, histories of being very, very deeply divided from each other. Yes. And it's just, it's fascinating to see how the world suddenly gets carved up along, you know, religious lines and along ideological lines. That's right. Uh, and, 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 of course, this becomes a massive threat to the Middle East because now you've got Turkey and you've got Iran who are sitting on the on top of the Middle East. Mm. Combi- well, Iran has, you know, a bigger, a bigger army than the rest of the Middle East combined. Mm. Turkey has an absolutely immense army. You've got Russia there, which is, well, that's no small army either. And so this is... Forming is causing the the formation of you know what we've been talking about is the Arab NATO. Yeah, that's right. Where you've got the possibility of Saudi Arabia and Egypt jumping in bed with Israel. Wow, I mean, this is wild stuff. Who would have ever expected mm. anything like this? To happen, but suddenly the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. That's right. And suddenly it's like, well, we're not really so worried about you. Uh, yeah, we might recognize Israel as a state because actually you have the best army in the region and we need it right now. Mm. What's yours is, well, let's make it ours instead of yours. Yeah. And in many ways, you know, typically I would support this, you know, because we want to see people becoming friends. If my friend becomes my enemy, I've defeated my enemy. Mm. Except that when you look at what's happening there and the increase in tensions, you've got wars and rumours of wars and you get these alliances being formed. This is how the First and Second World Wars took place. That's right. In the lead-up to the First and Second World Wars, you had all kinds of alliances forming and mutual defence pacts being formed and each one of them created a different level of threat to somebody else and so you'd have a whole new slew of alliances that were formed until suddenly it all blew up. Yeah, that's right. Hmm, where are we heading right now? You know, we look at Australia and we are desperately clinging to our alliance with the United States Mm. because of the power that China is starting to flex in our region. Mm. The Bible says there'll be wars and rumours of wars just before the return of Christ and we are certainly seeing rumours of wars around us uh, right now. Yeah. 
Heading across to the United States, activists, and talking about uh, archaeology here, activists claim that gender cannot be assigned to human remains because it is not known how the humans classify themselves by gender. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. So somewhere online, these activists have come up to the have come to the conclusion that their particular ideology actually existed in the ancient world. So they're what would this be called like trans washing history something like be- that's an interesting way to describe no it. because yeah. because often people get accused for doing all kinds of things like whether it's white washing or capitalist washing or christian washing like it's like you know yeah people explaining history in a way that's like particular to their bias but we're seeing that as well <sighs> now here trans world's gone mad anyway a group called the trans doe task force um, are a group of activists within the group who are trying to explore ways in which current standards of forensic human identification do a disservice to people who do not clearly fit the gender binary. Now, they're getting some pushback from archaeologists, particularly <laughs> female women archaeologists, such as Elizabeth Weiss, who is uh, from San Jose uh, State Archaeology Professor. She says that admitting gender classification is nothing more than ideologically motivated fudging. Mm. The increased calls to identify individuals as transgender is social and not biological trend. So retroactively desexing obscures this fact. Mm. And classifying human remains as male or female helps eliminate the stereotypes that would be otherwise harmful yes. to women. And, of course, the trans movement is incredibly harmful to women. Um, some early and she points out that some early early anthropologists sometimes mistook robust female skeletons as male skeletons and reinforced a false stereotype that males were not as hard females were not as hardworking as males. Mm. And so she said, "Look, our archaeology has done a lot to demonstrate that women have contributed just as much as men." Yeah, wow. To the world, and now you're trying to get rid of that. Wow. Mm. And this is the crazy thing. The trans movement is trying to get rid of everything that feminism has worked to create. Mm. You know, it just fascinates me that when you think about it, you know, um, the woke community will say if someone is gender non-conforming, that's biological. But if someone is gender conforming, that's a social construct. Wow. So is gender biological or is it social? Mm. You can't have it both ways. That's right. Which one is it? Uh, All of these things are a sign of the times. They tell us that Jesus is coming soon. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is The Breakfast Show, about to have interview of the day. Before that, we have another question for our quiz. You are running out of time, guys, so make sure you get your answers in. All right, here we go. Big question, you guys. How many wives did Solomon have? If you know the answer, 0491-064-669. Is this including concubines or just I believe, girls that he married? I believe it's including concubines. What do you think? Uh, you've got a piece of paper with lots of words in front okay, of you. Okay, okay, look. So, okay, okay. It's like somewhere around here. Okay. Ooh. That'd be wives. It would just just wives. Yes. 0491-064-669 is the number to call. Hint for the answer. It's uh, more than one. 
Indeed. If you guess one, you're incorrect. But, um, hey, if you guess correctly and you give us a call and you tell us what the answer is, you will go into the draw to win a, I, you will, you will, you will win a puzzle and a CD, but it will be like a selection of either. So you, we've got a selection of puzzles, a selection of CDs. You'll be able to listen to music whilst doing your puzzle. It'll be amazing. 0491-064-669. How many wives did Solomon have? Okay, if you know the answer, give us a call. Join us on the phone right now uh, for our monthly update. Well, our monthly delve into, I should say, the book of Genesis is Baron Neustrat. And Baron, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning to you, Lyle, and everyone there. Now, Baron, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis. We recently did a Bible study on Genesis, which was absolutely amazing. But we really appreciate the insights that you bring to this particular subject. And now that we've moved on and we're talking about other things, uh, it becomes more important again. But we're up to that point in Genesis where Joseph has been sold off and is taken as a slave to Egypt. Where Where does this story begin and where does it go? Well, as we know from the previous chapter, that uh, he was sold by his brothers. And, uh, you know, the Ishmaelites were traders in human tra- Obviously, they were doing human trafficking. That was normal on the day. Yes. He ended up, and it's an interesting thing. And, and they're, kind of, they're kind of his cousins too, aren't they? Uh, yes. Yes. Well, they were related to them. <laughs> yeah. They really are family, of course. No question about it. And... Uh, but that didn't matter. There were no family ties between the, the Ishmaelites and the, uh, and for that matter, Amalekites that were up and coming as well. Not when there was a good so, trade and, and some and money involved. Yeah. No, 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 that's correct. So, yes, they, so they sold him and he, he ended up, and this is the interesting thing. I was going to mention in chapter 39 that there is an emphasis on the fact that Potiphar, uh, to whom he was, uh, well, who bought him, was an Egyptian. And and if you look at an historical setting and try to place it in history, it's interesting that we get a few leads of the 39th chapter in regard to as to approximately when this all occurred. Now, we know that Joseph was 17 years of age when this happened to him. But the rulership in Egypt seems to have been dominated by what they would refer to as Asiatic people called the Hyksos. And that makes it very interesting and explainable that these people were actually Semitic people. And that might explain some of the favors that uh, were extended to Joseph later on when he uh, coughed up the meaning of the the dreams of Pharaoh and uh, the reward that, that came from it. So they wouldn't have had so much objection to a foreigner because in their minds he's probably less of a foreigner than many of the locals. Yeah. Now, this is the interesting background of this whole story, that the, 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 the dynasty that followed was an Egyptian dynasty and they hated the Hyksos. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes people, and they, they did everything they could to uh, eliminate any, any, anything that reminded them of the of the Hyksos. And so the story in which, you know, uh, Joseph featured so heavily would not have been very popular and uh, you would have, uh, you can appreciate, they would have done everything to eliminate that. It's just an interesting background. And it seems that the Hyksos themselves were completely either annihilated in Egypt or driven 
out of Egypt altogether. What's interesting is that the Israelites stay. The Israelites stayed, of course, but the Hyksos were driven out. But the Israelites and, become uh, slaves. Yes, because uh, I think what played a role is they were favorably regarded by the Hyksos, and that turned around when the Egyptians who hated the Hyksos uh, obviously uh, subjugated the, uh, the, the the Israelites into slavery. Mm, fascinating. So tell us about Potiphar and his particular position. Where does he fit into this story? Yeah, it's an amazing story. He obviously held quite high office. There's even a suggestion he might have been a eunuch, but that's doubtful since there's a Mrs. Potiphar. It's interesting that if you look at the name of, of Potiphar, which is not the best of names to have, it means bull of Africa or fat bull, if that's the best we can make of it. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't well, be happy. You wouldn't be happy with that name. Not in, not in today's day and age, but maybe back then it was a no. compliment. Yeah, maybe it was. And then the, the other interesting thing I just quickly mentioned, because it's generally not known, that the Bible does not give a, a name for Mrs. Potiphar other than Mrs. Potiphar. Um, that her name means brilliant beauty or bright and fair, uh, which could be from Arabic origin. It's always interesting when you look at the names. Uh, so did Joseph say no because she was over the hill, well over middle age and what have you? No, according to her name, she was good looking. Well, this would be expected from somebody who is such a high official. Yeah. Even in today's society, people with wealth and success tend to have sure. trophy spouses. Yes, that's a well uh, well put, yeah. Now, so that is where the problem started, and that's what the problem deals with in the 39th chapter. And we can only commend uh, Joseph's attitude. And the story is quite an amazing one that God allowed it. And it was obviously also very providential, uh, the way that God permitted things to unfold. You know, if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes right there, he's in a foreign country, it would be very easy, he's a slave, it would be very easy to become discouraged, to lose faith in yes. in God, uh, to become disconnected from, you know, the Ten Commandments, the, the, the moral code that God has given, and yeah. to, you know, accept the, the moral code of the country in which you were living, which would have a much lower standard than the Ten yeah. Commandments. Uh, you've got a, a family history of... You know, parents, grandparents, etc., with multiple wives. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons here for Joseph to seek out a little bit of comfort and to be having an affair on the side with a powerful woman. Might yeah. be a bad thing for a slave. No, uh, but it's marvelous how he reacts to the whole thing. He's, he 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 uh, he says, "Can I do this great wickedness that is against?" His master, to begin with, who had been some uh, exceptionally uh, kind to him, and we'll give the reasons in a minute. But he says, and he makes a distinction of an attitude that's wrong against his master, but he sins, I like this, he sins against God. So obviously there's a commandment that he has in mind to keep. Mm, mm. Yes, now, absolutely. He has, and, 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 this, and this illustrates the point that, he has given himself, he has, he has surrendered his life to God and he's, be, he's chosen to yeah. become a servant of God. Because if you go to the third verse, it's, and then it's marvelous when you really read it properly, his master saw that the Lord was with him, that is Joseph, 
And what it, what it, so no Bible studies, but what a testimony. His lifestyle was the Bible study, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. So it's interesting that Potiphar was very impressed with Joseph, the man's capacity, ability, dedication, and for that matter, integrity, I'm sure. I don't think he ever doubted that, despite Mrs. Potiphar. And it, we can, yeah. It, it, it reminds you of that saying, you know, that the world would rather see a Christian than hear a Christian. He was obviously a Christian who could be seen. Yes, oh, absolutely, 100%, spot on. And that that applied to his master's house, and that applied to the subsequent uh, place where he went. Uh, it applied to the jail as well, and then again to the court. Yes. Oh. Okay, so Potiphar's wife takes a shine to Joseph, and this is not just a fleeting thing. It seems that yeah. she really, really tries. I mean, she's flirting with him on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah it says in verse 10, day by day. Uh, but he did ignore her, but uh, she kept hounding him, and then when they were alone in the house or part of the house, she made her move. and. Uh, an interesting one that he runs away she's left with the garment which should be really a garment that he would normally be wearing and you wonder if Joseph was indeed the offender and the culprit would he leave the evidence behind how do you explain the garment that was left behind and she made an emphatic argument that he left his garment not that she sort of held him by it and uh, that he had to escape it's interesting. I think it might have given Potiphar a clue that, that maybe Joseph was not the culprit, really. And, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, along along with the along with the knowledge of Joseph's character. Yeah. The two things going yeah. hand in hand would be would 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 make you go uh, really. Yeah. Yeah. So it says that his anger was aroused, but it doesn't say that his anger was aroused against Joseph. Mm. So Potiphar has to do something about this because an accusation has been made by his oh, wife. Yeah. Uh, he is a very prominent person. This is a tremendous embarrassment. If he does nothing about this, then it makes him look like uh, you know yeah. an incredibly weak individual. Well, she certainly wouldn't have made his dinner, that's for sure. If, if <laughs> yeah, that's probably the understatement of the year there, Byron. But uh, what was typical? What would typically be the penalty for a slave who rapes yeah. the lady of the house in those days? Yeah, if it was a full rape uh, that was actually executed, it'd obviously be death. Yes, and even at this point, there'd be very little uh, redress that Potiphar would have to give if he had him executed. So uh, it is remarkable that he sends him to jail. <clears throat> there is an interest, though, that there's a psalm, Psalm 105, verse 18. The psalmist talks about Joseph, and he does say, however, his feet were hurt with fetters, and he was laid in iron. They used to, at an, uh, an advance, would uh, solicit, uh, an, 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 well, what shall I say, uh, hiding, a beating uh, on the feet, uh, hurt with fetters, and laid in iron. So maybe Joseph had a, a, a bit of a tough time, more than the author Moses uh, indicates here. It could have been tradition, but anyway. Mm, that's very, very significant, I think, that you've pointed yeah. that out. 
Yeah. Okay, so, so he ends up in he ends up in prison. I mean, and and you think about Joseph, he's gone from being the favorite son to yeah. a slave to yeah. a kind of foreman of a large household, so yeah. he's doing well as a slave and then he's thrown in prison. At this point, you would think surely his spirit has finally been broken. I mean, how many how many yeah. times can terrible things happen to one person? Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? But he holds on. He just holds on, and there's the message, isn't it? Mm, don't it certainly change. is. Don't change, because God doesn't change, and this is all to do for a certain purpose. As later on in his life, he concedes to his brother, it was providential. Yes. Now, in those days, the Bible talks about, you know, obviously uh, you've got that passage from Psalms which talks about him being put in fetters, which is an old English way of describing him being chained up. Yeah. Uh, did, did, did rulers in those days have prisons, you know, large prisons in the way that we have prisons today, or did they usually have other ways of... Dealing with people, yeah. And and if so, if there was what would prison? What would a prison typically be used for? Well, prison would have been really prison, you know, not necessarily three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and the TV. So there there would have been forced labour, I'd imagine, would have played a tremendous role. You know, the Egyptians or even the Hyksos, they were builders, the monuments. So there would have been forced labour. One would have thought. Uh, I don't think it would have been a leisurely existence and it would be very poor in facilities because you were out of favour and you really uh, had no legal redress. There's no court system to to a civil institution to protect you. Yeah, so this would not have been a fun time for Joseph at all. And uh, once again, as you as you say, he would have been placed in uh, in, in hard labour and chained up at the same time. It seems, uh, Byron, mm-hmm. it's been fascinating to talk about this. We're going to come back next week, and we're going to pick up the story where he meets the pharaohs, a couple of officials from Pharaoh's palace, who yeah. also get thrown into prison. Um, but thank you so much for joining us this morning to talk about Genesis chapter thirty nine. Pleasure. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.